Get your minds ready for today's podcast. We are excited to have you here with us today and we hope that you will find today's topic enlightening and useful. Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast. We are MHOP. Um, I'm sure you're wondering who the we is. I'm joined remotely by my colleagues um, and I'll just ask them to say hi. Malibane, can you say hi to everyone? Hi everyone. McMinn. Hello everybody. And Figi. Hi everyone. So I wanted to make sure you guys know who is joining you today. Um, and with that said, you probably already know what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about this current Black Lives Matter movement. We're having a psychosocial discussion about it. And we're talking about it because we want to get society thinking about everything that's going on. Um, and and we just want to, you know, put a disclaimer out there and to say that Obviously, even though we're coming from an angle of what we know and what we've read in our professional settings, um, we recognize that there is still so much to learn and that we might not always be talking about things that will make sense or that you will agree with. But once again, discussion is about sometimes not always agreeing with certain things, but thinking, being open to thinking about certain things. So that, with that said, I wanted to start off this discussion with a quote, um, a quote from a book that I read fra- by Franz Fanon, who was a psychoanalyst, a French psychoanalyst. He also happened to be black. Um, um, in the 1960s, this book was published. Um, and he writes something that's quite interesting because I found as I was reading it that it actually relates to things that are happening today. So he writes in his book, The Wretched of the Earth, uh, he writes, the colonized world is a world divided in two. The dividing line, the border, is represented by the barracks and the police stations. In the colonies, the official legitimate agent, the spokesperson for the colonizer and the regime of oppression is the police officer or the soldier. So I found this so interesting because in light of when he published his book, um, you know, I, I, and in light of what's happening right now, you definitely see that the police officer is definitely, you know, the, the, the agent or the spokesperson for the colonizer. Um, you know, for those of you who won't know, we're recording this ironically on June 16th, June 16th today. And if you don't know the history of June 16, essentially what happened is there were a, a lot of students in Soweto who were protesting because essentially they wanted to be educated. And what happened is these children were essentially shot and killed because um they, I, well, I guess they were viewed as rioters instead of children that were protesting and saying, just give us an education. Um, and and it, it's interesting because it represents what the government of the apartheid era um, perceived about, I'll say, black people, that essentially their, their voices maybe aren't 
this is what I'm thinking. Their voices aren't really important. So, you know, you just shoot them and kill them and carry on with your life. Um, You don't consider that this is a life of a child who has parents who will be in pain if they are killed for a cause that makes sense. Actually, it makes sense if you want to be educated, right? There's no crime in wanting to be educated. Um, But I'm wondering, guys, because obviously this thing is happening still now. Um, It's kind of... The same topic, uh, different people, if I, if I could say it that way. Because in America, there's been these uh, shootings of, of specifically, I guess, by police officers, killings of black people. Um, it's kind of like the same thing happening again. And I was wondering um, what your thoughts are about this. Because, I mean, I could be interpreting this or understanding this very incorrectly. I don't know if I am, of course. What are your thoughts? Maybe I'll start with Ufigile. Ufigile, what do you think about what's happening? And the quote, of course. Okay. So um, I, I think I'll just begin from, from the fact that uh, we're recording this in June 16. And I mean, I just want to mm. add on what you were saying that um, yesterday, the, the children who were protesting in 76 were protesting for an education, but it was particularly for an education that was equal to that of white people. So again, we see that mm-hmm. for that um, they were treated unfairly because of their skin color, right? Um, the same as mm. everything that is happening in America, uh, the Black, Black Lives Movement matter, uh, is that um, also it's, it's, it's a fight against people being treated unfairly because of their skin color. Now, I want to bring in the conversation um, a Black sociologist, Uhese, who speaks about this notion of race. And he speaks mm. about it in a sense that, um, in fact, race is a social construction. There's no such thing as, as race. It was socially constructed because there's no biological evidence of a black person or white person or red person or orange person or whatever it is in relation to one being treated inferior um, to the other, which is what we are experiencing now. So the title of the book is A Self-Fulfilling uh, Prophecy. And he talks specifically about the scientization of race and how the existence of race through science is actually a Eurocentric suppression of the actual workings of racism against Black people. So what we're seeing mm. is that um, what comes into play then is the performativity of racism, which is what uh, we experience as Black people, where we see white supremacy in that. So, I mean, I could go on about this whole thing um, from a while back where in America there was a system of lynching that uh, we used to see, again, where there's a display of um, Black people being a performativeness of, of racism where um, they put into play and they treat it in a particular way because of their race. And sadly, mm. we're still experiencing that even today where Floyd was killed in the way in which he was killed, which is no different to lynching because it was it was a performance that everyone was seeing. And I mean, there are many other cases that people are, are putting out there in this relation. Uh, the, the, the point is that um, people are saying that our crime is that we are black and we are seeing oh. Yes. Mm. So I'm just going to mention for those of you that are listening in, I think what I didn't say is that, by the way, FYI, we are joining each other remotely. So if there's any sound stuff, just be aware. That's because we're not with each other in the same studio per se. Um, 
I'm wondering with with what Ufiile has said, you know, what are the thoughts of of the rest of us, McMinn? I, I don't know if you agree, disagree, especially with regards to what she's saying about race and what race is. Yeah, I think I should start by by saying I concur with her on the fact that race is a social construct mm. because it 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 was first supposed to be something that identifies people that they're from probably a certain part of the world and that's all but now it has went deep to a point where now people have in it um, how superior the other race is to the other mm. you know? and it's it's it, it has infiltrated all institutions that we can think of be it professional educational religious you just find that prejudice where white people are superior than black people and mm. it has it has it has been manifesting itself from little deeds like uh, security guards probably at the parking lot they would mm. give preference of something to a white man over a black man and the law would be harsh to a black man quite mm. recently i went to woolworths and where it was exit and people tried to enter. Black people were turned back. But there was this white lady who was trying to get in. And that black security was just like, uh, this is just an exit only place. So please be quick because other people want to enter. And we were just behind this white lady. And I felt like those small things, they're the ones that actually manifest into big things where you find incorporate black people can't take positions because they're black you know mm. which makes me question our education system if it's really embedded in us to actually consider white people as superior than black people and just just to wrap up what i'm saying mm. i think i think it's a social construct that has been deeply rooted in us such that even black people stop seeing black people as they are equals, but they mm. see black people as other inferiors to the white man. Mm. And I guess that's an interesting point, you know, because um, obviously, I guess if you look back in the June 16s or the apartheid eras, um, while there were indeed white police officers, there were also black police officers. And the black police officers would also still... Um, basically do what the colonizer required or wanted them to do despite the fact that it was towards people that look like them or basically are them if I could say it that way mm -hmm. and and what you're saying McMinn is quite interesting because Franz Fanon the same author who wrote The Wretched of the Earth also writes a book called Black Skin White Mask where he's essentially saying that what he also recognizes is that as black people, we have this inferiority complex um, when it comes to our own skin color and who we are that causes us to basically want to be like the white, I'll say white man, generally speaking. And then we have philosophies that are like the white man. We have beliefs that are like the white man. So I don't go to the township to do my hair. I prefer to go to some suburban area because I consider it to be safer. I don't go to, you know, to, to Soweto 
to do my shopping. I prefer to go, oh, I don't work in Seoul at all. I prefer to work in, I don't know, Rosebank or something like that because I'll get robbed in Seoul at all. Despite the fact that actually you can get robbed in Rosebank as well. Um, but there are these perceptions that we have um, about things that relate to blackness. And, and, and what Fanon says is that it's because we try to internalize whiteness and what and when I say whiteness, I mean white perceptions, white experiences, white ways of, of living. And, and I think, you know, maybe I should let Malebani speak. I don't know, Malebani, if you have any thoughts about um, what we're talking about. That's absolutely true, um, especially when you just speak about how we try to or, or have or some of us rather try to take on the, the white ways of doing things. Um, one mm. of you earlier mentioned how you prefer shopping in a mall in the burb as opposed to in the township. And I also think of the fact that even when a black person might not be all the time, but when you go to a mall, you're conscious of the fact that because you're a black person, because a black man is always a suspect, you try to look a certain way, you try to put on your best branded mm. clothes so that you don't look like you are a thief or so that you look like you actually belong in that place that you are worthy yeah. of being in that particular store because you can afford being there. Um, some of us also try to put in our best English accent so that should you ask a question, you can look like Vela, you are worthy. You know, even Jay, the accent on its own is a problem because amongst us as black people, you know, you would typically laugh at a black person if their accent is just not what is socially accepted or if they just mm. miss an English word or speak English incorrectly us as black people um, we, we make fun out of it even um, you know the white man has been in Africa it's the little things the, little things. the white man mm. has been in Africa for many years but white people have not made an effort or have not made enough effort to learn the languages of black people yet when we um, don't do so well in the language of the colonizer, it is a problem. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's the little things. And I guess that's what, that's, that's, that's such a relevant point. I was, I was watching a video um, of, you know, this, this white man, he was discussing his experiences based on white privilege. And he had never realized that he as a white person was privileged until someone said to him that you're you know you have white privilege and and he 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 mentioned that he after he had that conversation with that person even though he was angry about it and thinking how could you how could you say that i have white privilege when you know when i live my life amongst black people i have friends who are black people i engage with them i you know i i as as much as possible. and he said that he started to notice that actually actually it's in the little his white privilege that when he's he's an american so he says that when he's stopped by the cops he'll have attitude and his his wife happens to be black and he'll his wife will keep saying to him calm down please calm down and the cops will let him go even though he was rude to them and he has a friend as well a close friend he says it's his best friend who also happens to be black and 
he you know once offered his friend he says to um to basically to you know to take his car somewhere to drive his car around and then his black friend said are you crazy they'll kill me um and he was and he said but why would they kill you i mean you're my friend you're driving my car why is that a problem and he said me driving a white man's car as a black person they'll ask questions later essentially and and for him he said that's when i started to realize that actually it's the little things that i didn't actually pay attention to um that reiterate and the example that you're mentioning malebani about um dressing up for the shops he'll also he he said that he'd be confused why his wife wants to get dressed dressed up when she was already dressed uh to go to the shops and and for him again it was the little things so it's quite interesting and it's quite a true point what you're saying that race conversations or, or talks about race or pertaining to race sometimes it doesn't have to be that you shoot me sometimes it's how you treat me the fact that you follow me in the shop the fact that you let the white person in and all the other black people out um when when we all saw, we all want to i guess enter through the wrong entrance essentially it's the little things so for me it says that you know race dynamics dynamics because of race they still probably clearly i mean with the examples we're sharing they still they still exist they they're still there um and and it affects us i guess yeah and and i'm wondering yeah i'm I'm just thinking as well that even just how we are policed policed as black people and um as predominantly white suburbs it's very different um right Mm. now in south africa we are locked down and when you look at Mm. how things were during level five um you Mm. actually found that the police were more in 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 the township than they were in in the in the suburbs and yeah you know without even looking at the personal circumstances of the different um 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 um, societal groups for example if you were to look at the people in the suburbs they are privileged they were able to stockpile and therefore the need for them to be out in the street was a lot less than people who live from hand to mouth who had to be in the streets because they really couldn't afford to stockpile you know in the suburbs Mm. people have um resources that allow them to be indoors all day, every day, because they can keep themselves entertained, they can keep themselves busy. They can, yeah. But when you look at um, our, our our brothers and sisters who are in the township, the resources aren't there. You know, they can't afford to be indoors without even look, without mm. even get, getting into housing issues that have come as a result of the privilege that white people have had and black people have not had without even going into, mm. into those issues. Um, black people have just been policed differently, um, disregarded, um, you know, not even taking their personal circumstances into light. And, you know, it's, it's the little things and it's also the big things that really show us that the life of a black man has not been regarded in the way it should be or equally so. Mm. Can I jump mm. in there quickly as well? Yes, um, I please. think 
Malban is raising such an important point. I mean, you opened up with Ufanon with his book called The Ratchet of the Earth. And mm. I feel as though we are still cheated as the, the ratchet of the earth as black people. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that um, we see, like you're saying, a, a, a presence of uh, policemen and soldiers around um, the location simply tells mm. you what um, the system is thinking about us. I mean, that quote that you, you read is that... Um, they were probably given the mandate that it's probably these ratchet people who are going to break the law. So, um, hence they had the liberty to kill that man, who Collins, who was at home, in fact, you know, and killed by black yeah. policemen who are supposed to be protecting him. They killed him beside. So, I mean, it just goes to show you the depth of um, how inferior and how less we are thought of, even amongst black people themselves. Yeah. And I guess it's quite interesting because, I mean, for me, how I perceive um, racism, if I could say broadly speaking, um, or racial prejudices or prejudices that are based on race, is I perceive it as a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And and the interesting thing about a mental illness is that it's so much more complicated to deal with than a scar on your hand or even a broken bone, actually. It's so much more complicated. It takes much longer to heal or to work on because unlike a broken bone, a mental illness can be passed on um, from one generation to the next generation, if that makes sense. That if I'm depressed, my daughter is also likely to experience depression. Mm. Um, Whereas if I have a broken bone, you know, I it's unlikely that my child's going to have a broken bone unless if they choose to go jump over, I don't know, a balcony or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite, it's for me, it's quite a deep topic, racial, um, these racial dynamics, because for me, the fact that it's, it still exists on the one end, it's, it's disappointing. On the other end, it's not a surprise if I'm perceiving it the way that Fanon perceives it as a as a mental illness if we're honest about it as something being wrong with our minds and something requiring a lot of work a lot of work and and i mean with that said you know i was looking at um the the a picture of hector peterson when he was being carried and his sisters crying and And I was looking at that picture because I was going to post it on my social media as a reminder of what today is about. And for me, it was really painful. I don't know about you guys when you look at these things, but for me, it was, it was quite a painful thing. Um, It's quite a sad thing. And and it made me think of, of grief, if I could say, um, of the nature of grief that things that have happened years ago, they kind of follow us today. We look at the pictures and, you know, you find yourself wanting to cry still because you're like, yo, no, this thing happened. And, and you find yourself probably wanting to cry because also this thing is kind of still happening. Um, and, and I was just considering that, you know, as black people, a lot of us are actually not just black people. I think there are white people as well who are deeply saddened by these things and Indian well, Indians typically fall under the black category, according to, I guess, whoever decided to categorize us. Um, <laughs> but um, essentially, 
you know, it's, it's, it's deeply, it's moving, it's deeply moving. And I found myself thinking about the fact that, you know, there have been so many deaths that have been happening. And I found myself thinking that I'm, you know, when I'm sad, I have moments when I'm angry, as we know, grief, the grieving process has its varying stages. Mm. Um, for me, I've been angry, but sometimes I find that I'm actually very sad. Mm. I'm very, you know, sad about it. And I, I, I have moments as well where I don't want to see anything that pertains to discrimination or race and all of that stuff. So I'll avoid it as much as possible. So I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to um, be in, in my denial space and saying to myself, no, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because I don't want to feel the pain. And I found myself wondering, you know, with all these, um, these protests that are happening around the world, I found myself wondering, where, where are we right now in our grieving process that is clearly ongoing and not ending? But I found myself wondering, where are we as a society? I don't know what your thoughts are. I Maybe in my you, mm. I, mm. I, I absolutely concur with you, Cindy. I really think that we are at the stage of anger because it just doesn't end. You know, it just adds the point where we think we have accepted it's in the past, we are moving on, we are working towards um, a better tomorrow, a better present for ourselves, then something else happens, you know, mm. when you get the murders of the likes of um, um, Bo Collins in, in the States, you get the likes of Bo George Floyd being killed, and that really takes us back to us being angry, you know, we have tried to to, to bargain, you know, which is also a part of of, 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 of um, the stages of grief where we where we talk things out, where we try to reason things out, where we try to resolve these things, but something always happens that takes us back to the anger that also that that just um sort of pulls pulls us back just mm. when we think we have accepted. So I can't really say that we are at this particular stage because just when we think we are there, we are taken back to the anger. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with them now. For those Sorry. Of, um, yeah. I think... Yeah. No, carry on. I think black people have just been grieving their entire lives. Like, um, I remember having a conversation with my mother that um, she lived mm. during apartheid. And, um, I mean, to them, that was something completely different from what we're experiencing now. But we've inherited their anger and we are experiencing it in a particular way. So it's just a continuous thing from generation to generation of just experiencing this grief as black people, like even if it doesn't happen to you on a personal level, the fact that mm-hmm. as a race, as a whole, these things are happening because of something that is yeah. beyond your control. You don't pick to be the way you are. And knowing that systematically that is, is cheated in a particular way is really upsetting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one wonders when it will, it will ever end, if it, if it will ever end. Like are black people mm-hmm. ever just mm-hmm. going to be treated as human beings whatever whatever being a human being means because we clearly don't know because we've never experienced what it's like to be treated on a fair level yeah i guess look if we have been treated it's hard to remember it because i guess it's been so far back um 
but but I mean, with that being said, for those of us that don't know what we're talking about when we're mentioning these grief stages, please check out our Instagram page, um, M underscore Harp, I think. I actually forgot. <laughs> but just look for M Harp on Instagram. You'll find us. Um, and, and you'll see we have a whole series on grief to check that out, to think about where you are maybe. Grieving process. And, you know, we hope in us closing this conversation, we hope that we've gotten you guys thinking. We've gotten you guys thinking about where you are, what your thoughts are about, why what is happening is still happening. And obviously, as MHOP, we want things that pertain or inflict pain on people to end. But we recognize that some difficulties we can't we won't always escape and we have to find ways of navigating them. So with that said, we'll end today's psychosocial discussion with regards to the Black Lives Matter movement here. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. And we hope to see you. Well, we won't see you, but we hope you'll listen to our next podcast on your drive to work or wherever you'll be going. So I think from here, guys, can we say bye to our listeners? Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a lovely day. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. It was lovely having you with us today. We hope that you'll be listening in again soon. And just a reminder, we are available on Instagram and Facebook for you to have any other form of information, um, especially because we spoke about grief today. Just an FYI, we have info on our Instagram and our Facebook on that. Chat later.